God has you and me here for a purpose in this season at this time. People who need to find Jesus and will only discover him through your life, through your witness, through watching what you're going through. It's not enough to say that we think we know what is supposed to be said and expected to be done. James calls us in his book to live to a new level of maturity, live actively seeking to reflect the pattern that Jesus has laid out for us. We call this situation, or this series, um, Talk is Cheap, and James calls us to more than lip service. He says, just get totally invested and totally involved in what's going on. And James is going to talk about getting our lives in order, avoiding the pitfalls that disqualify us. And today, he talks to us about patience. If there was any more in, in imita- irritating, frustrating, annoying, exhausting word than the word patience, I don't know what it is especially when it's being assigned and being attached to you and to your personal growth and development. There is never a good time to learn patience. We, we always are in a hurry. We, we're, we're always forced. Things are not going well when somebody says, you need to be patient. We, we want what we want. We, we want the process to be over quickly. We want the pain to be minimal. And we want the consequences for our mistakes to be eliminated and erased. So patience just doesn't fit into our plan in any way. In any way. We've been saying that James, the younger brother of Jesus, has been writing a letter of instruction and direction to the Jewish Christians that have been spread around the then-known world because of, of, of persecution, religious persecution. And, and in this letter, James has been addressing issues that have been brought to his attention both by letter and people who have been around and come back and report what's going on out there in the field. And and one of the things that James has heard as as a fairly common and widespread difficulty is that the believers of his day had become quite judgmental. They, They had become quite quick to condemn people, circumstances, leadership. Again, let let me remind you that for the most part, these dear folks are living in very difficult situations, experiencing some of the most excruciating circumstances. They, They were separated from family. They were living as strangers in a strange land, being discriminated against because they were not only Jewish, but they were followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and they've had difficulty finding good jobs. They've had extremely difficult problems finding a place to live, enough food to keep the family healthy and, and happy. And, and there was a lot of tension. There was a, a great deal of disappointment and discouragement. Th- things were not seemingly getting any better. And, and they were constantly wondering, would it always be this difficult? Would it always be this dark, this, this hopeless? 
Was there any light at the end of the tunnel? There was a restlessness at play. What do you say to a person who has gone through so much and is so discouraged and has been for so long that they want to give up? What do you say to a family that's been so discouraged for, for so long by the circumstances that have come their way that they, see, they, they no longer see hope, no longer have a filter on what they say, what they do? How do you bolster faith? How, how do you build? How do you build encouragement? How do you help people who want to let go and tell them not to let go? James moves to an encouraging, consoling tone in verse 7 of chapter 5, and, and he writes these words Be patient. Be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crops, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. Last week, Pastor Eric was just in the area that we, ahead of where we are right now today, and he talked about how God would take care of the wicked who were misusing their wealth and their influence. But now James turns to the church and says, you need to be patient. God will come through for you as well. The word here used for patience is a compound word uh, using two words, long temper. In other words, set the timer on your temper, not to go off now. But a long way down the road. Wait till you see what comes of the circumstances that are in front of you today. Wait till you have all the information. Think long term. Don't just blow up right now. This is not a sprint, James is saying. This is a marathon. And, and you don't want to waste precious resource on energy uh, and on things that, that God will look after. We, we, we want to have enough gas in the tank to reach and pass over the finish line. So don't explode at every opportunity, but be patient. Allow God to work things out. Uh, again, when you're about to explode because of injustice and other unfair treatments, the last thing you want to hear from anyone is be patient. You want to see shrapnel leaving your body and, and hurting and afflicting those who are hurting and afflicting you. Not told to hold on. That, that's infuriating. As I said, patience can be infuriating. James, James then goes deeper and says, so I'm asking you to hold on, not for a minute, not for an hour, not for a week, or not even for a month. I'm asking you to hold on, dear family, dear brothers and sisters, until the Lord returns for us. Not helpful, James. I, I'm walking on a very fragile tightrope and you're asking me to hold on until only God knows when Jesus comes back for his church. That's not what I want to hear. And, and, and he goes on to use the, 
the illustration of patience that a farmer has to have. We, we watch the farmers in our area. I, I live across the street from a couple of farmers who, and, and so when I go to work, they're either in their fields planting or standing by the side of the road taking measurements of soil moisture. And, and, and we know that they watch the skies and they wait for winter to pass. And as soon as it's possible, hopefully March, maybe April, but at least, at, at the very latest, maybe early May, they want to be out on the fields and sowing. And then the waiting comes. They've done all that they know how to do. Hopefully the rain that is needed in May will appear and the mix of warmth and moisture will come in June. And, and that, the, the, the heat and the freedom from infestations of insects and crop diseases makes July a bit of a nerve-wracking time. And then we get into August and, and the heat really comes and is poured on. And, and you hope that it doesn't get too hot or that, that, that the hail stays away. And if we have hail, could it just be little size hail, not golf ball size. And, and, and September, we know in this land that it, the, the, the temperatures start to fall and, and, and you hope that it, you know it's going to drop, but you hope that it doesn't drop below and let frost come and affect your yields, affect the quality of your crops. You've done all that you can. You're, you may be anxious. Faith is a testing season and it's all out of your hands. You plant and then the farmer has to trust God that there can be a harvest. And, and James says to you and James says to me, live your life that way. Do what you can and leave the rest up to God. Ver, verse 8, you too be patient. You too stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. D don't grumble against one another. Brothers and sisters, don't grumble against each other or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Just like the farmer, every believer should be patient. Every believer should be focused on the outcome and not buried in the, the lo and lost in the frustration that comes with living and walking through this life. We have a spiritual crop that takes its time. And James says, I want you to stay focused on the crop on the purpose of our assignment. We, we have a responsibility for those who are not a part of the faith community. Whatever the cost... For as long as it takes, we are focused on inviting them to faith. And just like the farmer, every believer should be standing firm in their hope. Unmovable in their faith in God. They should be reminding themselves as often as necessary that he will do what is right and he will make sure that both punishment and reward are given out at the time of his return and, and be assured his coming is soon. So if we were to stop the service right now and just go around and say, what does this word mean to you? What does the word soon mean to you? I think that a lot of factors are tied into that definition. I, I think age plays a part of that. 
As a child, I remember waiting for special events and, and days just seemed to be like decades. An hour could seem like a thousand years. But, but at this stage of my life, I'm standing on Sunday thinking it's Tuesday because how did we get here so fast? I, I think that desperation plays a measurement in a role in the measurement of soon. If you needed something yesterday and it isn't arriving until tomorrow, soon is not soon enough. Tomorrow might as well be a month away. I think that fear and frustration can, can make the only acceptable use of the word soon mean that it has to happen now, right, right now. So when a man writes a letter 1,960 years ago and says the Lord's coming is near and soon, I don't care how old you are, I don't care how needy, desperate, or how fearful and frustrated you are, that seems like a long wait. That doesn't seem anywhere near soon. If I'm hungry, and... And you know I love my food. If, I, if I'm hungry and you tell me that I will eat soon, you better not think that you can make me wait almost two centuries before you feed me. But near is the word that James uses. And, and near is the word that James has in mind when he speaks of the Lord's return to his people. James is writing under the inspiration, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, who is, is speaking the instruction of God to his people in that first century church and is speaking to you and speaking to me in the year 2022. Peter helps us with this understanding in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, or 8 and 9. Don't overlook the obvious here, friends, he says. With God, one day is as good as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. God isn't late with his promises, some measure lateness. He is restraining himself on account of you, holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change. God's delay is with purpose. He's making opportunity for the people who who he, to be who the, he designed them to be. He, he's allowing for people who are on my prayer list to discover what real life looks like. They think they know, but they haven't, they haven't touched real life yet. And on particularly troublesome days, I might half-heartedly or maybe even earnestly pray, even so, come now, Lord Jesus. But then I look at the people, the list of people that I love and that I want to be with for all of eternity. And I think, well, not right now. I, I, I want them to be included. I want them with me. And, and then God the Father goes a little farther and he says, well, what, what about those that you don't see as potential believers? Those that you don't think that there's any hope for? What if I were to do something there and as a result of a, a great multitude of others joined in? What, what then? Oh, Father, you know what you're doing. I, I trust you with your timing. 
I'm not sure when that time will be, but we know that in the measurement of God, it is soon. And, and in James' measurement, we are 1,960 years closer than we were when he penned these words. So in all of that, James says, adjust your attitude. Discipline your emotions. Train yourself to be careful about what you say and how you react and how you conduct your daily routine. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Don't backbite one another. Your family, a house that's divided against itself cannot stand. Don't avoid difficult conversations, but make them constructive, not destructive, not devastatingly destructive. Speak truth, but make sure that that love is in there in equal measure. Again, he refers to the return of Christ, and he says something that is so helpful to me. At the time of his return, there will be an evaluation by the just and righteous judge of all the earth. There will be an evaluation on what we have said. That that evaluation might not be today or tomorrow or even this year. But what is said now is recorded. And, And the judge is at the door. And when he comes through the door, justice will be measured out. Not only to those who have done me wrong, but to me because I have done others wrong. It takes some courage. It takes real courage to get down off our high horse when listing the sins of others and stand in front of a mirror and evaluate what we ourselves have done, what we ourselves have said, what we have, the pain that we've incurred to others. No one here is blameless. We've all been hurt, but we've all caused hurt. James says, let this motivate you. I must give an account of myself. Let me choose today and tomorrow and every day from this point on to do what is right so that I have nothing to fear when the door opens and the judge enters the court. Live with the understanding. Live with the picture. That picture governing both your words and your conduct, he says. Our behavior, the words of our mouth, are to attract people to the beauty, to the wonder of Jesus, and not to give them excuse to abandon his grace and his mercy. In, in 1927, Mahatma Gandhi was interviewed by a magazine and was asked about what he f- thought of other religions and was asked about what he thought about Christianity. And he says, I like your Christ. I like him very much. But not your Christianity. I have found that Christians are not very much like their Christ. I have found that Christians are the most warlike people that I have met. This is the very thing that James is talking to you about, talking to me about, talking to the church about. You and I are to be patient. We're to stand firm. In the example of Christ, we, 
We are to remember, we are to be thoughtful and and cognizant of the Lord's soon return. We're not to grumble against one another or we will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. And verse 10 says, brothers and sisters, again, he, he keeps bringing us back as family. As an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who speak in the name of the Lord. Family, I I know that you're suffering. I know the tension that you're under. I I know the treatment is unfair, says James. And and I know that it takes a great deal of strength not to strike back, not to unleash the words, make things right and even. But remember, we are neither the scorekeepers nor are we the referees in the game of life. James is speaking to Jewish believers who who not only studied, not only memorized the Old Testament prophets, but were aware of the suffering that they'd endured for speaking out in the name of the Lord. Talk, Talk is cheap. We have said that over and over again through this series. However, the prophets of old spoke what God gave them to say, and they suffered greatly for their obedience. Some were mocked, some were ridiculed, some were persecuted and imprisoned, and some were put to death. Jesus said it to us all when he said in John chapter 16, verse 33, I've told you all this so that you'll trust me. You, You will be unshakable. You will be assured that I'm in control. Deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties. But I want you to take heart. I don't want you to become discouraged. I want you to be encouraged. I have conquered the world. I will make the wrong right. I will correct that which has been incorrect. The the suffering is for now, but it's not forever. Be patient. Hold on on. Discipline your temper. Train your tongue. Hold on and behave as representatives of Jesus in this, the most difficult of circumstances. Be strong and courageous. Be be true to the call as the prophets of Old Testament were. Verse 11, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion. He's full of mercy. James looks at at these folks that are going through so much and he says, "Don't don't give up now because we know this. Those who persevere, they will be blessed. They will be happy. They will be fortunate when they're faithful to the call, when they're not goaded into an attitude, a lifestyle of retaliation. If you persevere, you gain. Job experienced incredible, devastating, unfair difficulties through his life. No fault of his own. He loses everything. He loses sons, daughters, houses, lands, crops, his standing, his reputation in the, in the community. However, Job decided, Job determined that he would not be unfaithful to his faithful God. Though they slay me, Job says, I have determined that I, you will find nothing in my mouth but praise. And you know the outcome. The Lord honored Job's perseverance. L- listen to the report. After he's lost everything, 
you, you get to, in this, this little, this is the message, and it gives you some insight into Job. He, he was an amazing man of faith. He wasn't great at naming children, okay? But he was an amazing man of faith. Job 42, God blessed Job's life, latter life, even more than his early life. He, he ended up with 14,000 sheep. He ended up with 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven more sons and three daughters, and he named the first daughter Dove. It gets worse. And he, married, and, and he named the second daughter Cinnamon. We had a horse named Cinnamon. But the poor third daughter, and the third daughter Dark eyes. There was not a woman in the country as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father treated the daughters as equal with their brothers, providing them with the same inheritance. That was a brand new breakthrough. It used to all go to the firstborn son, and now they all got equal shares. Job was steadfast in his endurance. He persevered. He endured. He had his moments where he was impatient with God, but he didn't give up. He stayed the course. And, and then James adds this very important bit of information to the text. Do not allow your emotions and circumstance, your doubts or fears to define who God is. That, that's so important. I'm going to repeat it. Do not allow your emotions or circumstances, your doubts or fears to define who God is. This is the truth. Who God is doesn't change. It doesn't rise or fall on your emotional well-being or because of what you are facing being in a good or a bad spot. This has been true. It is now true and it'll always be true. James says it again and again at the prodding and direction of the Holy Spirit. The Lord is full to the brim and then overflowing with compassion. No matter what you're experiencing, no matter what you're thinking, the Lord, this is truth. The Lord is full to the brim and then overflowing with compassion. The Lord is full to the brim and then overflowing with mercy. What you see now, what you hear going on around you, what you feel, what you think you know is only an interpretation of God. But there will be a future moment when the truth of this statement is realized by everyone who has ever lived on the planet. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And at that very moment, when that realization hits all of history, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord of all. And we will Knowledge that he is full of compassion and that he is complete picture of what mercy is. J James says, position yourself, posture yourself on that truth. When you wake up, I, this has been a, sort of an interesting fall. I, I've never, I, you know, I thought that the two years of the pandemic were something, but this, this, after time has been even more interesting, even more challenging. And if you let your emotions take over, you can get into some pretty dark caves. But I'm training myself to wake up and the first things out of my mouth is, God, I trust you. 
God, I know that you are full of compassion and overflowing with mercy. And that's why I trust you. James says, position yourself, posture yourself on that truth. Filter your experience, not through emotion, but through this unchangeable truth. The Lord is overflowing with compassion and mercy. Because that's the thing that's true. Verse 12. Above all else, brothers, sisters, do what you say you will do. Be who you say you are. Above all else, do not swear, not by heaven or earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. While we're talking about patience, while we're picturing the righteous judge standing at the door, while we're preparing to be a persevering people through whatever trouble comes our way, let us align our words to our conduct with the integrity of Jesus. James says, dear family, do what you say you will do. Be who you say you are. Carry out your responsibilities carefully. James is not talking when he says, don't swear. He's not talking about the seven bad words in the English language that we're not allowed to say. He's talking about giving oaths, making promises, speaking about our personal commitment and dependability. Use it in such a way that when you say you're going to be somewhere... People can set their watch by your appearance. When you say that you will do something, no matter what comes up, no matter how much it costs you, even if there's something better that is offered to you, your yes always should mean yes. Your no always means no. Be a person who says what they mean and means what they say. That's a hard way to live. That, that's, a, that's such a hard way to live. It, it makes you careful about what you say, about what you promise, cautious about what you declare you will do. You, you don't throw out throwaway promises. You're, you're quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, as James says in chapter 1. 25 years ago, a good friend of mine had a vision. He had wanted to bring together the spiritual leaders of the city and take them to the top of the Calgary Tower. And once they were there, he would have them look out over the city and lift out their hands towards the city and pray blessing and release of God's favor and blessing over the city of Calgary. He found a businessman who said, I can get on board with that, that uh, vision, and what I'll do is I'll foot the bill, we'll feed the crowd. But my friend wanted to fill the tower. The problem was with spiritual leaders. Spiritual leaders in that day, they would be willing to say that they would be there, but in between the promise and the actual event, things happen. Excuses arose. My, my mother is sick. My daughter had a play that night. 
A person in my congregation is sick and needs a visit. I I had an emergency come up and I was unable to attend. Now, those things happen for sure, but amongst spiritual leadership, they seem to have a higher propensity to happen than any other segment of the community. And so my friend came up with the idea that we would ask that with your RSVP, you would include a check for $100. If you showed up, then the check was returned to you and the evening was free. And if you didn't show up, the check would be cashed and the money would be given to a Christian cause within the city. We want your yes to be yes. Surprisingly enough, $100 was what it kept to took to keep every yes, yes. James says there isn't a hundred dollars riding on this. He says the stakes are much higher. If you say yes and you live out no, then know this. You are not being honest. You're not being trustworthy. And the judge at the door will see and know that there will be a problem here. And, and, that it will be meaningful and a just judgment on that behavior. It will not be ignored. It will not be glossed over. It will be dealt with. It's not a minor charge in the spiritual criminal code. It's a significant situation. It's deemed to be a serious offense in the courts of heaven. It has serious consequences James says it will be condemned so I've pastored long enough I'm in my 40th year or more of pastoring so I know I know how the Christian mind works and you're sitting there and say well okay I just won't say yes or no okay I I just won't say yes or no Can I just tell you, that's not helpful. That's not helpful. James says, be definitive. Be sure. Be organized so that you know whether it's a yes or a no, not a maybe. In in these difficult days in which we're living, James says, be careful how you live. He says, be Be patient. I, um, there are certain sermons that I don't like to preach. And it's not because they're not true. It's not because they're difficult. It's because I know that I'll be tested. I remember one time, it was a Saturday night. The kids were sick, really sick. And at about two o'clock in the morning, Debbie said to me, are you preaching on healing tomorrow? And I said, yes, I am. Another Saturday night, I was awake most of the night. We had a tin garden shed out behind the house, right by the, the bedroom window. And the wind came, and that thing banged and bonged all night. And Debbie said, are you preaching on peace tomorrow? <laughs> yes, I am. It was about Friday morning after a fairly long trying week where 
lots of components of my life are missing. The, the printer's not working. I just said to myself, Bill, are you preaching on patience? <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I am. James says, be careful how you live. Be patient. Don't grumble against one another. Remember that the judge requires you to be accountable and he's about to enter the court. Don't don't be discouraged. Don't be sidetracked by suffering. It's a sure thing in this life. Persevere. Don't give up. There's a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Remind yourself of the truth. God is full of compassion and overflowing with mercy. In fact, let's just say that. God is full of compassion and overflowing with mercy. Remind yourself of that several times a day. Be people of integrity, saying, living, operating in truth. Be careful about how you live. That's, that's a repeated statement through, through the whole Bible. But let me remind you what Paul says in Ephesians. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Moira, will you come to the keys, please? Make, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Called to growth, called to maturity call to be reflecting Jesus. James is calling us to growth and maturity in some of the most difficult and trying situations of our time. He's calling us to to the same growth that Jesus has called us to as a congregation this year. Don't don't forget these words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. In a word, Jesus says, what I am saying is grow up. You're, You're kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out of your God-created identity. Live generously. Live graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. This, This growth, this maturity comes alive when we connect with people who, who can mentor us, who can encourage us, who can work with us. When we're found in the Word every day, there comes a transformation in the way that we think, in the way that we see life, see others, see circumstances. In serving, we're exposed to the miracles that God does in the lives of others and we're inspired to continue to be faithful. When we commit ourselves to address our needs and learn how to operate in our weaknesses, we're strengthened by God and we grow up. When we pray with understanding that we are addressing and asking for the help and the instruction of the one who has defined himself as full of compassion, overflowing with mercy. A shift happens and the doors of access to that compassion and that mercy fly open. We we are focused, we are conscious of We are intent on our mission. It's to invite and welcome people to discover their place in God's plan. The very plan that they were created for. When we give our time, our talent, our treasure to kingdom projects, we're discovering the faithfulness of God to repay and reward us for our obedience. I, I was very conscious this morning that both Pastor Shan and, 
and Norma were right when they were calling us to obedience because I knew that the last word in my message was obedience. We have choices to make today. We can look in the mirror that the Holy Spirit has put in front of us through his word and we can say, God, help me with the changes that need to be made. Help me with my level of patience. Increase it. It's a dangerous prayer, but pray it anyway. Help me with my mouth not to speak evil. Help me with my relationships. Let me bring life. Remind me day after day of your nature, of who you are. You are full of compassion, overflowing with mercy. I want you to stand this morning. There's a word that's, that's been with me for about 72 hours, and I, I think it's for us here this morning. The, the word is tied to this whole thing of being tormented. Tormented. You may be able to sleep, fall asleep fairly well, but in the middle of the night, you wake up with a fear. It might have something to do with your work. Could have something to do with your family or your relationship. Could be tied to money. It could be tied to your health or the health of people that you love. And the enemy is just tormenting you. Pecking at you. Keeping this top of mind. And, and I, I, I'm just so aware that there are so many people in this situation that I want to pray this morning. I want to just lift out these words. He is full of compassion and he overflows with mercy. That's who he is. He gets no delight, no, no happy thoughts or feelings about our suffering, but he says, I'm there. I'm full of compassion full of mercy and if in this chapter of your life you're going through torment I want you to hold your hands out like this you're waking up in the middle of the night afraid and doubting God's goodness and asking where he is if there are questions that are bigger on you than you can handle I want to pray Father, this morning, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking that you will come and that you will visit every heart, every head, every, every fear that's standing here this morning. There are folks that are tormented. There, there, there is difficulty that's scraping on every nerve in their body. There's sickness in this room. There are questions in this room. There are doubts in this room. And God, I want you to reveal yourself this morning as the God who overflows with compassion. I want you to reveal yourself as the God who has mercy. God, we're like farmers. We're, we've been called to a, a greater ministry of reconciliation, bringing people who don't know Jesus into the fullness of who you are, into the family. And God, whatever it takes, we're here. Whatever it costs, we're willing.
we're, we're asking, we're standing here and asking God, help us to be patient, do everything we can and leave the rest in your hands. And so now, God, I'm asking that the peace of God, the God of peace would come and would settle over troubled hearts right now. May they feel the warmth of your presence, the, the closeness of who you are. God, may may the peace of God come on their minds so that the lying enemy is silenced. That the truth of who God is is not interfered with by our current circumstances and situations. Not, Not interpreted through lenses of fear. But let the peace of God guard their hearts and their minds. Not just for this moment, but through this night and all day through tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. This is a big week for people and I'm asking God that you would guide them and lead them and remind them of your goodness and faithfulness. Every morning when they wake up, may may they be reminded that your mercy is new today. Your faithfulness is greater today than it was yesterday. Great is your faithfulness. From the youngest of our family here to the very oldest, may they feel that peace, that undergirding of the everlasting arms, that that warmth of breath on the back of their neck as they are embraced and their name is whispered by Almighty God. Peace beyond to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Jesus says, believe also in me. Let not your hearts, your minds be troubled. Teach us, Holy Spirit. I release this group into your hands and your keeping. Having done what I can do, I trust you for the harvests. I trust you with your compassion and your overflowing mercy. Be with this people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.